13th chapter of the book of Luke, verses 1 through 5. Now on the same occasion, that is, the same occasion is that Jesus had been um, talking to a multitude of people concerning the events that related to the end of time. And on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now let me tell you what they're talking about here. This refers to a, a time in, when Pilate was governor, when some of God's people had gone into the temple and were sac- making sacrifice to God. And this bloodthirsty, cruel, violent man, Pilate, had his henchmen go in the temple and slaughter hundreds of them. And their blood mingled with the blood of their sacrifices on the altar. These were innocent people that Pilate slaughtered, innocent people. And they came to report this to Jesus about this happening. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? That's a strange answer there, but what he's uh, referring to is that in that time, everybody thought that when somebody suffered, it was because they sinned. And so when these people were slaughtered, the automatic thought was, well, they've done something that caused this. And so Jesus is... In, in essence, he is exposing the theology is wrong that if you suffer, it's because you've sinned. That is not true. By the way, that's good to know uh, other than this passage to know that. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom The tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now keep your finger on this place. We'll come back to it in a moment. The question is raised here concerning these innocent people who suffered... And the question really is, um, has to do with where is God in these events? Innocent people slaughtered by Pilate and folks just walking down the street one day and a tower fell on 18 of them and killed them. And the issue or the question under discussion, at least implied in this, is how could God allow these things to happen? Now that is a a crucial and and relevant question to to everybody here because somewhere along the line of life, on the timeline of life, we are confronted with that question. Why does God allow innocent people to suffer? And what about all of these things that happen for which there is no explanation is is that, does that mean that God is unjust? Is this injustice? And if so, why is there injustice? Now, um, the answer that Jesus 
gave is not an answer that you would expect. What you might expect Jesus, what you might have expected Jesus to answer was something like this. Well, you know I'm sorry about that. And uh, I'm sorry I dropped that New Testament there and <laughs> lost my place. I'm sorry about that. I'm, 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 I'm so sorry that in this world there are people who have these kind of tragedies happen. But you know it happens and nothing can be done about it. And so you just need to have a stiff, stiff upper lip, be a good stoic, and go on living because there are so many things that happen for which we have no answers. And I'm sorry it's true, but it is. We might expect Jesus to answer like that. Or we might expect Him to answer like this. Well, you know that my father um, watches the sparrows fall and... Uh, you know how many sparrows there are in the world? And he counts the hairs on people's heads. And you know how many people have bushy hair? Now that's being facetious. He might have answered something like uh, Rabbi Kushner answer this. Well, there are some things in this life over which God has no control. And there are some things that are going to happen that we know are going to happen. God doesn't want to happen. But God has absolutely no control over it. We might have expected that kind of answer. Whatever we would have expected Jesus to answer, and we probably wish we could ask Him that eyeball to eyeball ourselves, but the answer He gave was the very last answer you would expect. Jesus said, unless you repent you will perish. And this is what he was saying. You're asking the wrong question. The wrong question is not, why do these people suffer? The question is, why don't we suffer? And the question is not, why did the Tower of Siloam fall on eight people who were walking by, just innocent people? The real question you should ask is, why didn't that tower fall on me? Now what we're dealing with in this text, and it's a difficult one, and so I need you to kind of focus with me, is the difference between justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. And what Jesus was saying is this, there is not a single person that is innocent, and if a person got what he deserved, the tower would fall on every single one of us. For we put the amazement in the wrong place. Now watch this. What amazes us is justice. What ought to amaze us is His mercy. We put the amazement in the wrong place. Now, every uh, so often, somebody will engage, this engage me with this question. You know, what about the people, the pagans who have never heard the gospel? What about those folks in foreign lands that have never had the gospel preached to them and they die? Will they go to hell? And, and, and obviously, their, their question is, how could it be that somebody like that 
would, would go to hell who's never had a chance to hear the gospel. And we are amazed that there would be a God who would allow folks like that to go to hell. I know some folks who are amazed that God would allow anybody to go to hell. We put the amazement in the wrong place. The amazement ought to be why every single one of us doesn't go there. That's where the amazement ought to be. And the question, the issue is not... You know, how is it that, why can't we universal salvation? The question is, how could in the world could God ever find mercy and grace to save any of us? But I think that down deep inside, most of us have a feeling that God owes us mercy. Now, we may not be as bad as we could be, but we're a lot better than some folks we know, Right? And, and if God grades on the curve, I can remember in college, you know, just really messing up big time, but hoping the, the teacher would grade on the curve. And, you know, you'd come to class, you know, <laughs> and, and say, well, how'd you do? Well, I think I did bad, but I think everybody else did too. So if they have a curve, about 60 will be a good grade, you know. So, and we kind of we, we feel like, well, God might grade on the curve. I mean, you know, and we may not be as bad as we could be. But I kind of expect that God owes me mercy. Well, God owes none of us anything, to be honest with you. Now... There are two things that you'll get from God. Watch this. You'll either receive from God mercy or you will see, receive from God justice. Now, some folks, you know, some of, sometimes we'll say, well, all I want is what I deserve. Let me tell you something. That's the last thing I want. <laughs> that is the last thing I want, what I deserve. God will either give you mercy or He will extend to you justice, but He will never extend to you injustice. Okay. Now, He may not always deal with you in mercy. He may deal with you in non-mercy, and non-mercy is justice, but there is a way that God will ever deal with you in injustice. Now, Abraham came to God one time and he said... Uh, you're not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, yeah, I sure plan to do it. He said, if I find 50 righteous in Sodom, would you spare Sodom? He said, I will. So he came back to try 40, you know. And the implication, he got down to 10, and the implication of that is, not reading between the lines, but the true implication is that if he had found one righteous in Sodom, he would have spared Sodom. Because Abraham asked a profound question. It's a question you and I need to, need to ask and answer. And this was the question. Will not the God, will not the judge of the earth do right? Wow, I love the question. And Abraham was saying in essence, Now God, I know that you will do right. And that's the truth. 
Because anything that God does will be in concert with His character, and His character is absolutely righteous. So if God deals with you in mercy, He deals with you in mercy. If He deals with you in justice, He gives you what you deserve, but He never deals with you in injustice. Now I need to give you two statements. I want you to write them down. I want you to have them down because you're not going to agree with them. And uh, I need you to have them exactly right so you'll know what to disagree about. Okay? Number one, God is never obligated to be merciful. God is never obligated to be merciful. If we don't get justice, we get mercy, but He's never obligated to be merciful. Number two, here's the one that's going to really rub wrong. God is never obligated to treat all men equally. He is never obligated to treat all men equally. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. This is His divine prerogative. Now, if there are ten people who sin, five of them are punished for their sin and five of them are not, you might say, well, God is an unjust God because He punished me for my sin, but He didn't punish my neighbor. He's a worse person than I am. Five are punished for their sin, five are not. Five received justice and five received mercy, but no one received injustice. Now, if we can nail that down, we can get a handle on the problem of injustice. Now, here's a, here is a, a, a fact, a truth, that the love and the grace and the mercy of God are not infinite. Oh, that's, that's a frightening thing to say. Why am I getting so controversial here tonight? Um, you, you've heard that song, Marvelous, Infinite, Matchless Grace. The only problem with that song is, is that the grace of God is not infinite. Now, God is infinite, and grace, and God is gracious, but God Himself has said He draws a line where the axe is laid at the root of the tree and His wrath and His judgment comes into effect. Mercy and just, justice. The two things you receive from God. Now, now, Jesus didn't answer their question, but He did tell a parable. He started in this, with this, in this parable because he wanted them to see the difference between justice and mercy. Now watch this. Look at verse 6. In telling this parable, he told this parable in the context of the question they ask. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've been looking, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put, um, put in fertilizer. 
This guy was interceding in behalf of the tree. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Now, the intercessor there is Jesus himself. Now, this parable has implications of the nation of Israel. He's talking about the nation of Israel, but he, he has but, but the but the parable is a can be applied individually. So I want us to look at it individually. Now, three things. Number one, God has rights. God has rights. Remember that this parable is told to clarify the issue of justice and mercy. Okay, and he says he's, he gives the parable, and he, and, he, and 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 he's picturing himself. He's picturing God as the proprietor of this uh, fig tree and the soil that it's on, and he's saying God has rights. Three things about that. Jot them down. Number one. God has the absolute right of of property, of the right as the proprietor to his property. Easy for you to say. It was his soil. It was his tree. He had a right to do anything he wanted to with it. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you stay with me now. He's saying God has the right to do whatever He wants to with whatever is His. And you and everything you have are His. You you didn't know that. You belong to Him. By right of the fact that He created you, and by right of the fact that He redeemed you, you are His, absolutely His possession. And He has a right to do whatever He wants to if it is in concert with His character and His righteousness. He has a right to do anything He wants to with your life and mine. If He chooses tonight to, to, to take your life out of here, that's His right. And when God created us, He didn't just create us, put us in this world to fill up space. We'll look at that in just a moment. He created us for a purpose, and He redeemed us for a purpose. And we've been talking about that a lot as we've been going through our Fresh Encounter group, that God called us, chose us, and called us, and put us right out here into the middle of His mission of world redemption. And He has a right to expect that of us. Listen to me. God has a right to expect that you bear fruit that you are useful to Him, that you're a part of what He called you to be as a right of expectation. There are many of us tonight who have fallen far short what God has expected of us. And one of these days, we're going to stand before Him and have Him ask the question and bring the condemnation that He has expectation of us when He saved us. And we've fallen far short of that expectation. All right, number three. He has the punitive right of the proprietor to destroy that which fails. He has the right to destroy that which fails. Now, once you take your New Testament, I want you to turn to 1 John. I just, just popped into my head. and I usually work totally off of notes on Sunday nights. But I'm winging it a little tonight, as if you couldn't tell. And I want you to turn on the fifth chapter of 1 John. 
I want to read again in verse 16. Now listen to me, kids. Listen to this. Adults, children, old folks. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will for he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All righteous unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. Now, whatever else he's saying in this passage, he's saying this. He's talking about brethren, brethren, brothers. Well, he's talking about Christians. And he's saying, there is sin among Christians that leads to death. Now, I don't understand what that means altogether, you know, completely. But I know enough to know this. And what he's saying is, is that there are, there, there are times when God's children can sin in such a way, to such an extent, that God just takes their life and takes them out. For the want of a better, to make it brutally, crudely frank, he just kills them. Now he said, there, are, there, are, there is a sin that leads, doesn't lead to death. But there is a sin among the brethren that leads to death. And what he's saying is, is that God has a right to take out that which, he, which fails if he wants to. Pretty sobering, sobering in thought, I would think. Now I want you to notice back in chapter 13, verse 7. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Without finding any. I need to say, say two things about this. His right to cut it down was created not merely because it brought forth no fruit. His right to cut it down was created because it used up the ground. It was taken up space where somebody who would bear fruit would, could, could be. Now, let me see if we understand that. I heard a guy pray one time. He said, Lord, we're not much, but we're all you got. Well, I don't I happen to disagree with that. I happen to think that, that if we're not going to plug in to God's plan for us, there is somebody else who will. Now, that can be applied to the church, this church or any church, and it can be applied to the individual. But if you're not going to bear fruit, there's somebody else who will. And God will take those, presume, maybe Pentecostals, it may be whatever, but if, you know, just using up the ground. And the second thing, he said, I have a right to cut it down because it uses up the richness of the soil. Now what he's talking about here is, is that the greatest tragedy of all is, is that here are these people who are fruitless, who are always just taking from God and never giving anything back. 
They're taking from God and they're taking from God and they never give anything back. They sound like anybody you know. So blessed, so blessed are we and we take from God and we take from God and we take from God and give nothing in return. So we can sum it up like this. Watch this. God has rights. God expects. And number three, the test of life is faithfulness according to the divine intention. Faithfulness according to the divine intention. Now let me ask you this question. Here's this question. Are you being faithful to the divine intention for your life? Now to give you some applications. We'll rush through these in five minutes. Some lessons. Five of them. Number one. We all have a, we have a, a specially favored position. We, we have a specially favored position. I hope, I hope you, I know you do. I, I hope you young people uh, somehow are able to, to, to grasp how blessed you are. We could all tell, all us old folks tell war stories about what we didn't have, but man, are you people blessed. You're not only blessed because you have such wonderful homes that parents that care for you, and you have this great church that has that literally has opened its resources to the to, to youth and college students. But what a time in which to live. We are so blessed. And we live in a favored position. Can you imagine for the you know, in the wildest imagination, can you imagine what it would be like to be to live in a ghetto somewhere? To be one of these uh, uh, junkies in, in, in New York City. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you, in the wildest dreams, imagine what it would be like to live in a third world country? Oh, what a favorite position we have. We are in. Second truth, uselessness invites disaster. The worst form of evil is to do nothing. The worst form of evil is for God to come expecting fruit from our life and find none. Now you, you may somehow satisfy or justify or rationalize like this. Well, I'm not a bad person. But the point is, God has a divine intention for your life. And, and are you taking advantage, are you useful to that divine intention? Number three, nothing which only takes out can survive. Uh, I uh, like to mention this every now and then, so you remember that I'm a world traveler, but I... I've been to the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it's dead. Now, let me tell you why it's dead. It has no outlet. It's below the, the sea level, and so the water that runs in can be as fresh. You could drink it, and, and you can, and, and they do. And the water that runs into the Dead Sea is fresh and, and um, alive and clean and pure. But it has no way to get out of it. And so what it does, it just 
sits and stagnates, the only uh, means of, of the water ever leaving is by evaporation, slow evaporation. So there is this sea, this place of death. And the reason why it is a place of death is because it receives and never gives out. It receives and never gives out. I've come to church since I was eight years old, I hear you say. And I've sat in Sunday school and I've heard preaching. I've heard every sermon anybody could ever preach. I've heard the preacher's sermons three or four different, same one three or four different times. And we have taken in and taken in and taken in. The issue tonight is what have we done with it? Number four, this parable is the parable of, a, of, the, of the gospel of a second chance. Now the interesting thing here is, is that fig trees normally take three years to reach maturity. And so no, no, no accident that he said, I've come to this tree for three years. Because at the end of three years, if a fig tree is going to bear fruit, it'll bear fruit in three years. If, you, if it doesn't bear fruit in three years, it's not going to bear fruit. But the, but the keeper of the vineyard pleaded with the, with the owner and said, give it one more year. Now, it's not going to bear fruit after three years, but he gives it one more year. Because this God that we feel like has given us a raw deal in life is a God who just gives us chance, second chance, and third chance, and fourth chance. He's the God of a second chance. And the reason He allows us chance after chance is because He is a God of long-suffering mercy. Number five, there is a final chance. The fact is, is that there is a point in time where the justice of God is put into effect. Let's pray together. Our Father, our prayer is, is that we'd find our place, ourselves, in this place, this place. our relationship is with you and help us to do what is we need to do to get that straightened out I pray for that person here tonight who is not saved the gospel presented time and time again I pray that person tonight will be saved this will be the turning point of some person's life I pray that our, the invitation will be the moment in which we get settled our relationship with you. For I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. In the spirit of prayer, we invite your response to this invitation. Would you stand?